The Arcade Report is a Final Plank Media production, and you can find more of our work at FinalPlank.com. Don't forget to vote. When he's not striking out opponents on the mound, the Red Sox' Kurt Schilling can be found battling enemies on the web. This is how you get around in the world when you have a couple bucks. The star pitcher loves multiplayer online games where his identity remains anonymous. Really, who I am is kind of irrelevant. And the 41-year-old digs the fantasy worlds. I'm the average male. I'm very obsessive compulsive about my hobbies. Now Schilling's turning his love of gaming into a video game business called 38 Studios. The name comes from his jersey number. I didn't have a whole lot of interest in just kind of doing something opening a restaurant, doing the things that guys do. I wanted to do something I was passionate about. Banana, 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 banana. Banana, 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 banana. Banana, 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 banana. Banana, banana, banana. Banana, 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 banana. Banana, 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 banana. Banana, 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 banana. Banana, banana. Curse shilling. The story with Schilling, the ruptured sheath around the peroneal tendon, his right ankle. A lot of talk about him wearing high tops, and they found the right type shoes for Schilling to pitch with. And the story is he's not pitching with him, as Al showed us out in the bullpen. And the question is, is that the Marcane itself that they're shooting into that ankle or blood from the shots? But like a scene from The Natural, Schilling climbs the mound and prepares to take on this Yankee lineup. Two bloody socks. Ask any Red Sox baseball fan worth their salt with that mat in 2004, and they'll tell you it meant a pennant win for their star pitcher, Kurt Schilling. A season that will see him starting a slow stage left from the baseball world, New England has a safe spot for this legendary player that lasted this very day. With an arm said to strike out even the heavy hitters and singly lifted the curse of the great Bambino. Kurt Schilling was starting to feel a little worn out when he finally got to his last big hurrahs in 2007. But that isn't to say that he's ready to throw in the towel. And if you bring up bloody socks to the Rhode Islanders, you might get a different story, but that's not until later. For now, our boy is a baseball hero. With a name like Kurt's, sponsorships came easily for a pitcher and he definitely didn't shy away from them. He even ran his own charity. Kurt's Pitch for ALS. A nonprofit organization he made to help fund the research that could fight the dreaded disease, the same one that took my great-grandfather away. I could list a ton of great accomplishments he made his way into. Campaigning for George W. Bush and John Kerry, a popular collection of World War II memorabilia, and don't get me started on his baseball career. Okay, you talked me into it. He's in, like, the 3,000 strikeout club with getting 300 strikeouts in a season alone. Three times. He's the proud owner of the Babe Ruth Award, two times Baseball Digest Pitcher of the Year, crowned MLB All-Star six times. He's been inducted into the Philadelphia Baseball Wall of Fame and Sports Hall of Fame, which are separate places, mind you. He has dozens of American baseball awards and so much more. It's to the point that it almost feels odd that I'm going to be throwing this guy against the proverbial wood chipper. And most of you don't even know why I'm going to grill this world-class athlete. You see, Kurt Schilling has charisma. And a lot of it. He also has a penchant for seeing a chance for glory and leaving into the lion's pit to claim his destiny. Of the many times in stories he's done this, 
there was a little idea that began to creep into his mind in the mid-2000s. An avid fan of video games, he saw Titans come out like EverQuest in World of Warcraft, taking the world by storm in a way unheard of at the time. Surely if Kurt wanted to play these games, so much that he organized his own gaming convention in the 90s, his vast wealth and popularity could secure him a place in the greats of a different sort. Maybe even become Bill Gates rich, as he would often slate the dream as. Today, we will be talking about the creation of a little company called 38 Studios, named after his jersey number, and about how one man's dream and a boatload of cash tried to change the world by writing checks and challenging reality itself. Kurt Schilling didn't need to be a game programmer. In fact, I would chuckle at the idea he probably tried using C++ for all of 10 minutes before quietly turning off the laptop. He certainly thought he knew how to attract the best birds to his flock, however. And with the war chest of sitting around $115 million, who could blame him for trying the strategy? Money talks, right? Here we'll be talking about the history of 38 Studios, the Grandmaster planned to make an MMO so big that World of Warcraft would sink within the year, and what missteps happened along the way into making the game. A game, by the way, that had both the financial blessing of an entire state and the largest employee of a gaming company in the region. What happened to what should have been the biggest hit of the decade? How did Kurt Schilling manage to bankroll the biggest video game heist in the past 20 years? Where's the freaking game? I don't know. This is Arcade Report. Before we jump right in, I want to give a huge shout out to the real journalist that did what I could only dream of, and that is Jason Schreier. A boatload of this report comes from his book, Press Reset, and I want to encourage anyone who enjoys a good read with a sip of tea to give it a shot. To be honest, I doubt this episode could exist in any capacity without his hard work through his date tracking, interviews, and so much more. Thank you, Jason. And without further ado, let us enjoy our own tea. On a late winter night of 2005, Kurt Schilling sat with his family for a good old-fashioned Christmas dinner. With the turkey steaming at the center and gravy overflowing with mashed potatoes, Kurt was deep in conversation with his family about games when the suddenly the topic he was hoping to spring finally came up. A video game company, with him as the founder and leader of a rising industry of MMORPGs, or massive multiplayer online role-playing games. What I would give to be a fly in the wall as Kurt, drumstick in hand, was trying to announce how badly he wanted to be the next Michael Morheim. Morheim was the guy behind WoW, by the way, and a whole different episode if I ever get the courage to cover it. Since Santa didn't deliver him the CEO title for Christmas that year, he decided that Destiny was better seized by taking the next logical step when building a company. Proposed the biggest venture possible to a group of friends over voice call while playing video games. I wish I was kidding. The words I listed were, and I quote, I'm seriously contemplating starting a gaming company. Who else is in? Now, if I was in these players' shoes, and I had a world-known baseball player asked to join his blank check dream with no qualifications beyond being the best buds with Kurt Schilling, I too would jump at this get-rich-quick scheme in a heartbeat. 
Gotta move cross country and relocate my family? Sorry, honey, pack up the car, we're about to be video game superstars. He even snagged an enthusiastic uncle-in-law who listened intently over that Christmas dinner. With the Ocean's Eleven of the Kurt Schilling friend crew, Kurt leased out a 30,000 square foot office space in 2006, an old mill building called the Clock Tower Place in Maynard, Massachusetts. When he realized that being CEO would actually require work, and with him finally coming off the disabled list to play with the Red Sox for at least another season, he passed on the title to one of his friends, Brett Close, with CTO going to John Laugh. A soft press release came out with announcing the grand opening of a new gaming studio, Green Monster Games, and they were ready to rock the world. Wait, Green Monster Games? I thought we were talking about 38 studios. Where's the numbers? Tell me about the numbers! Oh wait, that's not for another year. Phew, and I thought I was about to do another tangent there for a second. Uh-oh, here it comes! You see, EA's Ultima Online and Sony's EverQuest were indeed huge hits when they leapt out in the late 90s. The idea was that so long as people kept paying, the game would continuously churn out content. And profits, of course. When Blizzard came out with World of Warcraft in 2004, banking off the Warcraft series that has been neck deep in popularity with the strategy genre, it kept that gravy train going. The once unknown concept that players would get heavily addicted to MMOs has by then become the main thesis of these games, and the marvel of this strategy made the games both an infinite source of entertainment and a money printing machine. Kurt, having played many of these, was well aware of these sorts of games. When he was out and about on his away games for baseball, he would claim to focus on gaming out to ease his wise worry <laughs> that he would try to get lucky in the streets with the local women. Now that he knew that his baseball career was coming to a close, as his throws weren't going as fast anymore, and his body was starting to feel the wear and tear of any long-term pitcher, he already had the sights set on his future in the gaming industry. What set him apart from the rest of the chumps that could do the same, however, was that he was freaking Kurt Schilling. Or so that was his reasoning. A man of sheer determination that willed his victory to the point that would rupture his ankles on the diamond, he knew that perseverance was going to get him through anything, and so he built his life around four pillars we'll see throughout this report. Tenacity, honesty, quality, and family. Four humble words he would seal into his very ethics when he took charge. You will also notice that his charisma comes packed with a lot of conservative views, and if you personally are not a die-hard fan of his, I'd like to apologize in advance if I portrayed him as a swell, perfect example of a person. I assure you, he was not always the best person. He was just, well, super rich and popular. The Green Monster Games name lasted less than a year and was swiftly changed to 38 Studios. And as I said, it was meant to give more focus to his number. When he announced it himself, he prophesied that it actually meant to give a more accurate reflection of what our company is working to achieve. Taking to the Fires of Heaven's Guildboard, a message platform home to one of the many oldest and great groups of people that would traverse MMOs like Holy Nomads, he went on to defend the origin of the old name, writing the GMG name was, and I know this is going to be impossible to believe, not named after the left field wall at Fenway. The name was made up by somebody who knew next to nothing about baseball, and isn't even from this country. Apparently, there's a wall in the baseball field in Fenway Park called the Green Monster Wall, and Kurt felt the need to shoot down the claims that it inspired the first name. 
why he felt the need to discredit the person who coined the company name as both being ignorant of baseball and a foreigner is, unfortunately, very easy to find out. Although self-proclaimed as a God-fearing family man who is immune to racism, he is well known for his claims against LBGT and defending that most of his World War II collection heavily focuses on Nazi equipment. Feel free to draw any line of conclusion you have from there. Now that 38 Studios was officially in the records of 2007, Kurt Schilling knew one thing he needed to do if he wanted a successful game. He needed the best crew possible. Sure, he had a few loyal friends and family running the ship, but if he wanted an elite-style crew to succeed like the Red Sox, he was going to have to headhunt, and quickly. With $5 million of his own money injected into the company, he landed two big-profile people to get the attention he sorely wanted. From the depths of ink came Todd McFarlane, a popular artist known for his work in comic books for Spider-Man, Venom, and Spawn. From the fantasy heavens came the renowned R.A. Salvatore, author of the Demon Wars saga and the Legend of Drist, with hands in the Star Wars series with Vector Prime. He was also known for his work in the gaming industry for storytelling in games like Forgotten Realms, Demonstone, and even wrote four books for EverQuest. If someone like him was being desired by Sony to develop the lore for their MMO, it's no wonder Kurt would swoop in and pick him up. With these two artistic behemoths at his beckoning, Kurt was ready to swing for the fences. Forgive the pun. The thing was, he initially wanted to go big straight from the gates and dive into making an MMO, an unprecedented move at the time. Almost every other MMO out there had a backlog of games to pull their lore from to draw nostalgia. But here, Kurt was going to need Salvatore to draw from scratch. There lied the problem. Making a game was no easy feat, and your average game at the time would last 15 or so hours to leave a gamer satisfied. An MMO, on the other hand, re required the ability to keep people content for what felt like an endless hundreds of hours, meaning a metric ton of content and story was needed to be developed for the game to flourish. You see, Kurt Schilling must have known that this was going to be a huge challenge. In the baseball world, you work your way up to the little leagues all the way to the major leagues, and that's if you're heavily skilled and athletic to make it happen. Hurt likely thought that since he had the credentials to be one of the biggest baseball players around, this college of baseball could transfer credits over to making an MMO with bloody socks paying the tuition. With such a headstrong man who loved the product but knew little of the industry, he still believed that if he filled the room with talented individuals that carried his spirit, he would convert into experience in achieving a task fit for one of Hercules' pixelated trials. The only way it was happening in the first place was the fact that Kurt's spirit was backed by over a hundred million dollars. But don't think that has ever come across his courageous and strong-willed attitude. Over the next two years, 38 Studio began hunting for more avid candidates to pad the credit screen for this gargantuan game, eventually known as Project Copernicus. By the time Kurt Schilling officially retired in the end of the 2008 season, over 60 people were employed in the company, going full tilt and developing the title. He was able to attract so many employees 
to the point that many would travel across the country to live near the headquarters because of the four pillars of quality he maintained in the image of the studio. Tenacity, honesty, quality, and family. For tenacity, he wanted to future-proof the company by making it into a utopia, offering well above standard salaries to maintain the notion that they were rock stars. There were also excellent health insurance coverage that could attract those who need it, such as expanding family or those with sick spouses or children. For honesty, Kurt Schilling made it clear to anyone listening that he would be straightforward and upfront to his beloved employees and never stray or hide the truth. By being clear with them, he believed that they would flourish without needing to worry about their futures or what needed to be done to improve the game. For quality, 38 Studios promised them the best, the most qualified employees, the best designing tools, even an office that felt like a throne for some. By giving the company the best, Kurt believed he would get the best out of anyone. And lastly, family. Those familiar with this off-toxic trope know that a company calling their employees family can have devastating results. The company will often exclaim how they're a close-knit community and promise to take care of them while expecting the employee to do the same. When sideways move or something outside the company jurisdiction, however, and the curtain slips a little bit and the harsh reality of a corporate machine will peek through in the face of the unfortunate pawn. Much to his credit, though, Kurt often did write by his employees up until the very end. Perhaps in this bizarre company origin, we get to see what happens when one person leading a company does, in fact, go out of their way to help those in need. If there's one thing I want to recognize about Kurt Schilling in this crazy endeavor, it's that in his belief in taking care of his employees was so strong that he was willing to sacrifice so much for them. When one loving individual gives so much to be loved, it is only soon enough that they run out of this love to give and nothing to be given back. Thankfully, people like Brett Close, one of the original friends that became the studio president, were able to keep him in a generosity check. Kurt wanted to go even further for the team and provide luxury company cars, and even split the profit between him and the employees 50-50, which if I was that hypothetical employee, I would be more than happy to vote yes to. Go for it, Kurt. So at this point, 38 Studios had a crockpot of well-paid professional game developers, artists, designers, and management from across the country. Kurt had his Ocean's Elevens finally or I guess it would be more his Ocean's 60+. plus. While the MMO Copernicus was very slowly forming its very basis, there was so much to cover it was clearly taking more time than Kirk could cover his original $5 million budget. He had dozens of mouths to feed and expenses to cover at this point, and he needed to get cash going into his project post-haste. Rather than continue burning his baseball money to keep up the family mentality, he decided to shop around his blockbuster idea to Capital Adventurists to land himself a second angel investor in 2008. Kurt himself knew the MMO was going to be the biggest and most popular in the world. But with a blank resume in the gaming industry, people he lured to the pitch were nervous to even negotiate. One such investor, Todd DeGress, who was and still is a part of a venture firm called Spark Capital, came to an investor meeting with mild skepticism. At the table, many of the executives there were professionals in the gaming industry. But Kurt, despite not being the president or anyone in the management circle, sat dead set in the middle, with every single person referring to him in charge. 
Red flags danced around him with every chance encounter he had with Money to 38 Studios. To make things even more daunting to the outside eye, a lot of people that hopped on the Friends and Family initiative had taken strong leadership roles despite having little to no experience in their position. Remember Kurt's uncle-in-law? Mr. Christmas Goose that listened to the pitcher's, well, first pitch? He was Bill Thomas, the company's chief operating officer, despite never having been in the industry before. His closest thing was his own founded company, where he did consulting for an entertainment business trying to hop over the ocean over in Asia. Maybe one can draw a squiggly line between consulting an entertainment business and shepherding a wow-killing MMO game studio, but could you imagine trying to run executive decisions on where the war camp should be for a storyline quest when the guy is used to figuring out which Asian telemarketer to suggest to a music firm? Even Kurt's wife sat on the board, and his wife's father worked into the IT department. Talk about making the company family. By the third year of development for Copernicus, things were starting to look dour. Things were being churned out, for sure, but rapidly expanding the world of an MMO meant it was surface level only, and lacked the depth of any self-respecting game company would want. To make things more awkward, Kurt kept rolling in ideas to shake the company with his own tried-and-true methods over in baseball. One such moment was when he announced the employees were to take a shift set of two weeks on, five days off just like when he trained in the good old days. People abhorred the idea, and thankfully his own team of executives made it clear that this was a terrible plan. Kurt just shrugged it off, a little confused. Why wouldn't it just, you know, work? It did for him, and look where it got him. Kurt was still bankrolling the whole shebang with a big smile, but it was tightened at the corners, thanks to being rejected by every investor he thought would be in his corner. It was time for a power play and Kurt knew how to call his shots. The moment happened over in March of 2009 when THQ, who was knee-deep in debt and struggling to keep afloat, wanted to sell off big, huge games. Well-versed in strategy and their big hit Rise of Nations, and giving a hand in Age of Empires 3 and a Catan game, they had a half-ready game on the top when they went up for sale. A veteran executive at 38 Studios, Jennifer MacLeon, had connections with one of the co-founders for Big Huge Games and pitched the idea to Kurt. And our Red Sox king knew all about pitching. It might cost a pretty penny, but if Kurt could gather a real-deal studio with the frames of a single-player game and then convert it into their leaping platform for their MMO, he would be following the wisdom of all his competitors and carry his spirit of never giving up. Hopefully, it would also sell like gangbusters and replenish some of the cash flow that's been burning a hole in Kurt's wallet. Letting the lead designer sniff the potential plan, people began nodding in agreement and excitement began to buzz. A couple of name changes here and there, some edited plot points, and they could easily have an Elder Scrolls level mega hit on their hands. They just needed the cement in the world of Amalur, where their MMO Copernicus was based on. A couple of months and signed contracts later, Kurt's big play came in the form of Big Huge Games joining the family on May 27, 2009. Hi, I'm Brett Close, CEO of 38 Studios, and uh, we make entertainment. We acquired Big Huge Games, which is uh, in Timonium, Maryland, just outside of Baltimore. They were part of THQ, and uh, they have become part of our, our master plan towards world domination. 
uh, it's been part of the 38 Studios vision from the beginning to spread the Copernicus intellectual property uh, across multiple media forums, multiple channels, multiple platforms. So we're an entertainment company and an IP creation company. Project Copernicus is the first representation of that. So this was an opportunity to uh, realize the, the breadth and depth of the vision in terms of how we want to bring Copernicus to, uh, to the audience in various touch points and various different ways that, that people can access that cross-platform and in a variety of different medias. Uh, it's also a great cultural fit. The studio is uh, incredibly talented veteran developers. They've, uh, they've done amazing titles like uh, uh, originally did Civilization II, They've also done uh, Rise of Nations, Rise of Legends, and uh, Catan on Xbox Live, and uh, have their own intellectual property that they're working on, and some incredible technology and tools for RPG development. So beyond all that, they also have, for example, Ken Ralston, who was uh, kind of the heart and soul behind Oblivion, and uh, Tim Train, their president and studio head now, and Jason Coleman, and Ike, and Kerry uh, 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 Wilkinson and a, a huge number of incredible developers that fit very nicely um, and are complementary talent with the 38 Studios group. This may have been a great step, but it came with more cost than it seemed. Brett Close, one of the founding members and CEO of 38 Studios, resigned just a few months later in August of 2009. The reason given by the company was that he wanted to pursue other opportunities, but we know that type of corporate jargon is boilerplate commentary for whatever really happened. There's nothing really showing foul play. Looking at his LinkedIn, it appears he got a spot as senior vice president for a technology consultant firm called Frog a month later. But one would wonder what convinced Brett to jump ship as the top dog of the biggest MMO in the works. What shook Brad enough that Kurt Schilling's dream project scared him from his friend's company to join a buzzword corporate playground? Something was happening amongst the old executives, and Brett knew he needed to get out. And fast. As he pulled the ripcord out of the company-provided parachute, Jennifer Macleon, the person that convinced Kurt to buy Big Huge Games, took the position as CEO and continued the golden vision for the company. With the developers and programmers none the wiser, the dream continued on to Kurt's approval. To make things even more exciting for Kurt, an investor finally pulled through in the form of EA. Since the publisher saw that 38 Studios not only had a true blue team now, but now a fleshed out game in the works, it finally made sense to chip into the pot. For a rock star pitcher, this was finally the validation he needed when it came in the form of $35 million. The commitment felt lopsided though, as it was directed mostly at big huge games for their single player game, leaving the MMO Copernicus the sole financial custody of Kurt still. And Curtis was starting to feel the rug burn from having to pull out his wallet so often. Because the heat of his back pocket kept him from sitting around for too long, Kurt was quick to rally his family to the cause of cranking out everything they possibly could for the MMO. This left Big Huge Games to continue full tilt into the single-player game, now known as Kingdoms of Amalur, Reckoning. At this point, this newly acquired team was content as being the powerhouse that was being paid competitively well, but 38 Studios began something akin to a cult. Our big dog, Kurt Schilling, was inspiring. 
To say the least of his charismatic profile, he may not have known the nitty-gritty of the work he wanted done, but he jam-packed his ambitions with a passion that would take several by storm, sending them into a feverish state that would just bypass basic work logic. Why worry about deadlines when you believe your boss that you need to just try and you'll succeed? While not everyone bought into the level of Kool-Aid Kurt was bringing, it was enough to where he had the same treatment as some sort of demigod. This sort of idolization was appealing to Kurt. He was out of the MLB at this point and was focused on promoting 38 Studios, but there were moments where it could backfire. Since he was often a popcorn machine of thoughts or ideas for his MMO child, he would spout a bunch of random schemes at the many hype meetings he had with the team. This, in turn, led to them dropping anything they got, because the words of Kurt Schilling might as well have been carved into the walls of the building they were in, as if they were almost divine brilliance for some of the people there. Now granted, Kurt realized this quietly. He was the captain, after all, and he did want more and more pumped into his game. Whenever the crew halted production to begin concept-proofing these comments, however, he saw it was hurting the game long-term, and had to begin picking and choosing which ideas to pitch. One such idea was allowing players to play as a centaur, the half-man, half-horse race. Kurt loved his centaurs so much that he even had a cardboard cutout at the studio that he showed off during an interview. He declined to relate to it, though, when the reporter asked Kurt if the centaur represented him, though. <laughs> Since he just had his just-believe-it-and-it-can-be-done attitude, it took a lot of hard hits to finally convince him that this was a difficult thing to pull off. The centaur would be a nightmare to logically get through doors and traverse indoors, and all the different mounts players could get would either be inaccessible or look like the unshown footage of National Geographic. I don't know how this was the one blow the Kurt's pride found in the archives, but it must have stung to be told no with such conviction. He had put $30 million into the company at this point, and he'll be darned if little hitches caught into his prize goal. I wanted to do something that I loved as much as baseball. I wanted to do something uh, that, that gave me a chance to change the world, change people. World domination through gaming is just kind of a, a mantra that we, we run around with here. I mean, it, you know, you could walk around and say, wow, it'd be nice to be a cool company, but world domination through gaming sounds cooler and at the end of the day is a whole lot funner. Todd McFarlane and I actually go back. I've always been a McFarlane fan. Todd is so unique that when you look down at a piece of paper, and he's done something, you, it says Todd McFarlane without a signature. We, we might have a chance here to actually go out there. Instead of just a kid off the street saying, hey, I've got this great video game idea, we could actually walk in there and say, not only do we have a great idea, but we've actually got people who are going to bring an audience with them, and then we're going to go out and get the talented people that will be able to deliver that. And for me, that, that whole being better than the parts is the thing that I hope will actually get us over the big hurdle at the end. How cool to be if Ari Salvatore created our world? created our game, created the foundation of this intellectual property. I think the 38 Studios is going to give gamers a world that they can explore and enjoy and live in and breathe in like no other experience before. When I write a book, I'm giving you a group of characters and I'm, I'm letting you follow along on their journey and hopefully kind of living vicariously through them. When I'm writing an MMO or writing the world that you're going to play in, you're the character. It's your world. It's up to you to write your own story. And no writer that takes that away from you is doing you a favor. So creatively, we had Todd and we had Bob. Um, but at the end of the day, none of that was going to matter if we didn't make a game that was just 
off the charts fun. That speaks to the person that runs your, your technical team, your engineers, and puts the whole package together. And so the short list of, of names was one, and that was Brett Close. Everybody likes to come out and say, we're going to be the best at something. We're just, we're just going to be great. Trust us. Not everybody can assemble a team of the top industry people. Our core members within this studio, everybody within this studio, are from all of the top development teams, MMO teams, very, very experienced people who have established themselves in the game industry and uh, have built incredible products. Someday we're gonna, we're gonna throw the switch and the world is gonna be able to play this game. And it's gonna be a great, great, great day. It's so cool. Uh, the potential is nuts. The people that I'm working with are second to none. If you put a team of people with incredible character and integrity, pride, respect, loyalty, passion, commitment, you put a team of people comprised of those qualities together, you're going to win. You're going to be better than everybody else. And at some point when this game ships and when this company takes its next step, people are going to recognize us as an absolute force. Copernicus still wasn't even close to completion in 2010, however, and Kingdoms of Amalur was still being finished 400 miles away over in Maryland. Meanwhile, World of Warcraft has already released two big expansions with a third, titled Cataclysm, about to be released. EverQuest was still chugging along, and other big names were joining the MMO market, including Final Fantasy XIV and Star Wars The Old Republic. While it felt like every day was a challenge to get the base game of Copernicus out, their would-be rivals was pumping out content and doing victory laps around 38 Studios without even realizing it. What 38 Studios needed was a huge influx of cash and fast. Investors in the private sector have been a big bust, and it finally looked like the company was going into a spiraling crash into the background. The company executives, however, had dark plans in motion already each with their own hook in the venturous scam they were prepping. While Kurt was nodding and smiling to the masses, certain people in the top of the company were vying for favorable positions by committing to a whatever-it-takes attitude, making connections with law officials a stay over. The goal? Make a meeting happen with the governor of Rhode Island, Donald Carcheri, and Kurt Schilling. Where it looked like stars were aligning for the company, Calls and promises were being made in the shadows for this chance encounter to happen. The date that everything was set for was March 6, 2010. Governor Carcheri, head honcho of Rhode Island at the time, was over at Kurt Schilling's house in Massachusetts for a fancy fundraiser being held to hype up a World War II documentary Kurt was promoting. Kurt, being a self-proclaimed army brat born in Anchorage, Alaska, was more than happy to show off his decent-sized World War II collection. That wasn't the goal here, however. And as talk about the documentary with Carcheri began to shift towards 38 Studios, Kurt wound up his metaphorical pitch and went straight for the strikeout. It was innocent at first. While unfortunately I don't have the actual words wiretapped from his house, this is a private event after all, I do have a summarized version that I can extrapolate a parody version that went somewhat like this. Picture Kurt Schilling, his drink of choice in hand, and his fellow Republican governor as they admired a well-preserved army uniform from the war. I'll let you decide what country the uniform is from. As Kurt took a sip from his drink, his eyes cast over the Karcheri. 
Did you hear about the tragedy of 38 Studios' tax situations here in Massachusetts? He asked, a somber look in his eyes. No, I run a different state, Karcheri replied, confused at the sudden change in tune. It's not something the other governors would tell you, Kurt continued, eyes now forward on the army uniform. It's the same old story. They wouldn't give me a tax break or any kind of leniency over here. And I'm building an MMO over here, the best video game of its kind. Ironic, really, to have one of the biggest projects in a little old Massachusetts, and they won't even give it the recognition it deserves. I, I don't even know what an MMO is, Karcheri fumbled, embarrassed. But it's a shame that the governor here isn't willing to help. It really is, Kurt urged. With a little bit more funding, I could even go further with it. More jobs. Jobs? The governor repeated, enraptured with the word. He's been trying to lower the unemployment rate, and such words would not pass by his lips lightly. Many more jobs. Money, too. Exponentially so. Kurt takes a strong draw from his drink. If only... I could find someone who would be my apprentice, I mean, who would give this company a chance. The silence that ensued must have been louder than any cheering done at Fenway Park. This is all paraphrased and dramatized for effect, of course, as we'll likely only hear denial of any such meaningful conversation, but the pendulum was already set in motion. Within a few short months and very oddly swift meetings over the matter, Karcheri, who used Rhode Island's economic development program to back everything, had managed to set the dominoes in place. Many things were being promised on both sides, and we'll be seeing too that not much of it gets honored as we continue with this report. So what's in the deal be informed, you might ask? From Rhode Island's side, a monolithic $75 million to go directly into 38 Studios' pocket, which was the exact amount Kurt Schilling had asked for. So far, so good, right? Let the irony sink in, if I may, as I point out that Kurt has been harboring very public opinions against politicians for leaning towards abundant government spending not even a couple of years before. You'll probably find a few scorned tweets back in 2008 about loose cannons trying to abuse tax dollars, but you won't find any self-loathing when he's ready to ink his own cash cow to the paper. Hmm. That's weird. As a pile of money was dropped to the negotiation table, it was time for Kurt's friends and family, posing as executives for the company, to lay on the honey thick, and they did not hold punches. Promising a modest 450 new jobs within three years, they also claimed that they were going to establish themselves as the next new video game mecca of New England. As if to pose as kings and queens of the industry, they also promised to release a brand new RPG game every two years, and a new iteration of an MMO every four. Like, what? Step back behind the curtain, folks, and let's check the math leading the logic here. They've been working on their MMO, Copernicus, for nearly four years at this point already, with very little to show for it. Hunting down local news clips at the time would only show mere seconds, if at all, of, of real gaming footage. It was mostly Kurt or the current company president nodding real confidently that things are going great over here. Sure, you can blame the funds, but how far can this line of reasoning get dragged on for? 
Let's not forget, they bought an entire studio a year ago, Big Huge Games, and had a game already built that they were reshelling into their own branded game to promote the MMO that's been hiding in the company closet since they started. Where was that projected to be done by? This Christmas? Spoiler alert, Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning won't be out until early 2012. A fully funded game, already designed and ready for a makeover by a company they bought, still took over two and a half years to make, and they're promising the financial officials at the table they are going to be cranking out these bad boys every 24 months. What utter crock. Apparently though, I'm the fool with hindsight in my pocket because the people who were there ate all this up apparently. According to Carl Wadenstein, the junior member at these meetings, he was the only one who had clear doubt that this made sense. Was trusting a baseball celebrity and a circus of family executives with million estate dollars to venture into an exclusively unfamiliar market a sound strategy? Probably not, he amused, but when he saw his seniors just watch all those slideshows and nod in agreement, and Governor Karsheri doing the song and dance to usher it forward, who would be the sandbagger in such a scenario? Several raised eyebrows shot to the ceiling when word of this deal came out, but before they could shot the words fraudulent investigation, the deal was struck in July of 2010. Handshakes commenced, congratulating each other for their intelligent consultations and investment, thus beginning one of Rhode Island's greatest heists. Kurt Schilling had the statement in his own pocket, and there was but one person who was laser-focused on being his personal antithesis, Lincoln Shafee. People, I will warn you now. If you think video games and politics don't mix, let me present you a person who was more than happy to prove you otherwise, especially if you're going to tap into his money. I mean, the people's money. I mean, Rhode Island's money. Definitely not his money. Kind of his money. Lincoln Davenport Shafee, born March 26, 1953, began his life into politics when he was just 32 years old. Not particularly staunch in his political party affiliation, he became one of the few faces to represent Rhode Island. His political stances aside, he became a mayor in Warwick, Rhode Island, to senator from 1999 to 2007. Biding his time and waiting for his opportunity to arise, he had found himself a beautiful chance for the governor's seat in 2011. Once Karcheri would hit his legal limit to serve, it was only a matter of time before Shafee would hit the big seat for the little state. Remember, this is 2011. This whole big deal happened over in 2010. So this poor guy, and I say poor very skeptically, had to watch this all happen when he didn't have a dang say at all over in Rhode Island. That will change soon. During this time, however, local news wasn't just focused on the elections. After hearing about the closed-door deal for 38 Studios and the state, Shafee had oppositional critique flying to the papers. With the banking disaster of 2009 finally beginning to recover, why was the state giving a rookie video game company funds and not banks? If this was such a brilliant financial decision, why didn't they reach out to other gaming companies with bigger pedigrees? Why is there a paper trail that starts with the current governor and Kurt and ends in a single line straight to 38 studios getting loaded with cash? Shafee pleaded with the government to investigate this bizarre chain of events and freeze the deal in place. But until he got the hot seat, he was but a politician with a big bullhorn.
Back to the perfect little utopia of well-paid developers, plush pillows, and lime water over at 38 Studios, Kurt and crew announced the practically divine news to the team. They were saved! The game they were kind of working hard on was gonna pull through. Pack your bags, we're all hopping state lines! <laughs> DJ Record Scratch sound effect here, because at one of many all-hands meetings that Kurt held, the news that everyone was gonna have to relocate was dropped like a glitter-filled bath bomb. Could you imagine watching your boss ready to pop the champagne and he just told you that you're in dire need of a U-Haul? Imagine hearing that after you just recently moved across the country and bought a home in Massachusetts. The housing market crash was still in crutches and your boss expects you to either take the loss in the teeth or double down on mortgage payments? That would suck. And Kurt knew it. I present to you the Kurt Schillings Family Discount Relocation Program. Well, it was just called the Relocation Program, but if Kurt named it, you know it totally would have been that. This angelic promise by 38 Studios was that they would write the check on all closing costs to ease the pain. And should they not be able to sell the house in time, 38 Studios would happily buy it themselves. Aww, isn't that so precious? A company that would take the hit for the sake of their employees? How could I discourage people to uproot their lives and move in mass for their work? They were figuratively and literally moving the blissful providence. Rhode Island. My friends, I would like to glorify the new and final headquarters for 38 Studios, because in all of my studies and research, I am honestly saying that the description of this place blows any other studio headquarters on the East Coast out of the water. A beautiful, brick-laden office building that stood six stories tall, with statues of characters they've designed lining the hallways and offices. Free food packed fridges wherever you looked, and the building itself was packed in the downtown of Providence, the capital of the state. For a while, 38 Studios was the true center of Rhode Island, where Providence River could be seen flowing gracefully from the view. Well, maybe if you were on the roof, but I digress. With a little park right next door for employees to relax at their leisure, this really did look like a small slice of paradise. Now, the banks wouldn't fully unleash the full $75 million to Kurt. And this is an important detail I want to know as we gather steam into 2011. Perhaps there was finally one stalwart purse holder that finally got cold feet, but 38 Studios only saw around 49 of that $75 million go into their coffers. I noticed that with all the local news coverage that tackles this event, none of them really bring this fact into light, and it will be important later. Though slightly burnt from what should have been a smooth golden deal, 38 Studios went to work on fulfilling their end of the bargain. Well, some of it. While Kurt may have been able to help 160 families move over thanks to his relocation program, they had 450 people to hire within the next few years. Woo-wee! That moving stunt cost them a few million. 3.2 million to be exact, but that's just the cost of moving one big family. And you don't turn your back on family. Hope you like adding extended cousins and in-laws, however, because it's about to get much, much larger. Recruiters for the company, frenzied by the blank check mindset and needing to hit an employee quota, worked day and night, and I mean that seriously, to grab another 125 developers of varying talents in the first year alone. It wasn't difficult to lure most people in. 
Like the original crew that faithfully committed to an exodus thanks to the inspiration and financially desirable perks, new folks that took the look were just enthralled with what they could only be described as a fantasy job, surrounded by a crew of loyal and loving people. To those trying to catch a job there as a windfall, it was excellently portrayed as the place you could both start and retire from, with the goal of making the best games around being an easily achievable goal. Good thing Kingdoms of Amulet Reckoning was right around the corner to be released to start funding. It would be bonkers to think funding a company nearly double in size would be possible using state money, <laughs> the old cheddar, and the rest of that money EA bumped for Kurt. They would never do that, right? Oh wait, I already spoiled it doesn't come out for another year and a half, dang it! Roll the tape back, we know something's going on. You may know Kurt Schilling from, I think he plays baseball. Occasionally. Occasionally he's been known to throw a baseball. I heard on the internet that he actually plays games. We needed to come here and find out. My time sink has been MMOs for the most part. All the way back to Ultima Online where I started to EverQuest, EverQuest 2. Last couple years I've been pretty uh, pretty stuck to, to World of Warcraft. One of the games that you were, were pitching, you basically struck out everybody. You were just hurrying up because your guild was, was doing a raid. There have been times when a quick nine innings has enhanced my ability to participate in a raid. That's really not as far from the truth as people might think. Why make a game company? You're playing the game, but what do you need to make them for? I wanted to be involved in something that, that I was passionate about and the potential financially of you know an MMO. You're talking about hundreds and millions and billions of dollars, which is uh, un just another way to change the world. But I'm just wondering, were you just playing World of Warcraft and getting grief? You said, screw that, I'm gonna make my own MMO. The idea for this was really kind of wound up in EverQuest, EverQuest 2. And I'm sure that there were some times and some periods where, like every other gamer, I'm sitting there going, wow, this sucks. When you get in here and you go from, wow, I'd really like to make a game, to really making one. Terrifying is a word I use often. There's been a, probably five or six times in the last two weeks where I've said, why the hell didn't I just make an FPS? You have not released a lot of information about the game you're working on, known as Copernicus. Copernicus, yep. I'm told that in the game, one of the most powerful weapons is a bloody sock. I will not confirm or deny that. Is there any chance Don't about even finish the, the question. No, no, I can't, I, we can't show you anything yet. Come on, Kurt. Right, one thing. We had an influx of people that we kind of didn't predict, but we got some incredibly talented people that became available to us. And this is our uh, our character team. So they can kind of draw? They're unbelievably talented. This is kind of my favorite. This is the design area. So you have a few people who know something about MMOs. A few, yeah. Just, there's just a couple. Just about everyone here has had a hand in, in shipping an MMO at some point. Wow. If ESPN doesn't pick up a piece of, or an excerpt of this and play it, then... They suck because they're not exact. They're not the entertainment sports show that they claim to be. Because well, right? Would it beguile you if I told you that after spending years for investors in getting almost a hundred million dollars in total to play with, Kurt Schilling would still continue to seek out more investors? As if the Sith Lord parody wasn't good enough, it looks like he was using the state as validated proof that his company is worth investing in. And it really sucks because, in a way, I feel for this guy. He's not just some dude that made some scratch and wanted to make a golden statue of himself. Fun fact though, there's an estimate of around $90 million to have a real-life solid gold statue made of yourself, so it would have been relatively cheaper to have gone that route. That's not Kurt though. And despite 2011 railing against his funds at around $4 million a month, he refused. 
nay, despised any notion that his team, his family as he always called them, would get any less than the all-star treatment they deserved. As hires kept pouring in and the game was still undergoing completion, however, screws started to come unloose as signs began to show. 38 Studios' walls were already rotted thin, but as long as you kept your eyes on the magic show, you couldn't hear the creaking begin. One of the first employees that noticed the ripples of the curtain was one Jennifer Mills, the one who got to experience the great relocation effort firsthand, in fact. Being a talented texture artist, she briskly made her way to be in charge of other artists as she focused on texturing the MMO. By the time 2012 had started, she was made lead artist for what was being proudly declared the MMO meant to defeat a weakened World of Warcraft once and for all. It was a joyful moment for Jennifer, even if there was rumors from inside and outside the company that promotions were being passed out like candy. What irked her, though, was that her paycheck never got the bump that reflected her new role. Huh. When she investigated to find out why, she discovered what would be one of the biggest red flags an experienced worker the industry could recognize. A freeze. Not just a hiring freeze, but a financial freeze as well. This meant that, for the time being, every single person working for 38 Studios had hit their financial ceiling until the freeze was lifted. For those aware of the usual trend, a hiring freeze is often the death knell of a panicking company, and those none the wiser kept working on the typical faith that it was just a strategy until the RPG came out. Jennifer caught the first glimpse of the executive's decisions as chaos began to brew on the upper floors. 2012 looked to be a very dark year. Around the same time Jennifer noticed trouble in the waters, Andy Johnson was leaping from his own sinking ship at THQ and made first contact at 38 Studios as their new leader of localization in January of 2012. With both the RPG and MMO slated to be released this year, he was ready to get his team together and start hammering out the other languages ASAP. When he began asking around the developers for information, however, things felt odd. People were bright and chipper as they toiled away at their individual tasks, but it seemed like no one knew how the final product looked and when it would actually be ready. Doing some simple math based off the number of words in each zone of the MMO, Andy began to sweat. There is no way in any capacity that the MMO would see the lead day in 2012, and that was generous in his predictions based on the languages alone. It would take an illegal amount of hours and manpower to pull off the schedule that Copernicus had to be released, and Andy thought it was important to let somebody in charge know this issue. Hmm. It was as if he was in a dark room that he illuminated with a match, only to discover corporate executives doused with gasoline and hissing at his realization. Vice presidents and other executives began flooding his offices and emails throughout the day like ravaged savages, interrogating him on who saw this note and which scoundrels had shared info with him. Smeagol-like behavior became rampant any time he found himself behind a closed door as, as corporate elites floundered, panicked, and threatened the poor new hire. Suddenly, executives began acting like lords over their own teams, demanding that they keep away from rival teams within their own division. Some executives, who were in charge of functions that haven't even existed yet, began lobbying, persuading, and deceiving for more power and influence over the developers. Andy himself couldn't even build his team that he was hired for due to that hiring freeze that occurred, and was forced to find a different position. This bizarre and dangerous ecosystem had some rhyme to the reason, however, and the answer was fairly simple. 38 Studios was on the decline. 
and people needed to make sure Kurt knew their worth when push came to shove. Whether a captain realized it or not, he had inadvertently encouraged foul play in his own company. He would single out those that brought him undesirable news or tried to persuade him to stem the holes forming in their wallet and blacklisted their future in the company. Those who witnessed the disgraced knew to seek any means to survive. The end result will not fare well for the company's future. So what was happening with the RPG game Kingdoms of Amalur, Reckoning, and the MMO Copernicus? Thankfully, Kingdoms of Amulur was reaching its end stage and primed for release on February 7th, 2012. Despite the freeze being at full throttle, and the fact that Skyrim had just come out a few months earlier, it started to sell really darn well, to the collective size of relief from the company. For my UK listeners, it was also the 60th anniversary of Her Highness, Queen Elizabeth II. <laughs> uh, talk about two figures who rapidly expanded in... At a backfire. <laughs> Unfortunately for 38 Studios, while Kingdoms of Amulet did manage to break out 1.3 million copies and exceeded EA's expectations, the profits reaped by Kurt wasn't enough to pay for the cost of developing it. In fact, it wasn't enough to put much of a dent in anything. And only a select few knew that. Kurt, who must have known exactly what was going on with his transparency policy, was in a bad position as he witnessed his leading dream nemesis, Blizzard, begin to suffer with their subscription count with WoW. Their latest expansion, Cataclysm, began to see the first dedicated decline since the MMO's release, dropping from 12 million a year to 10 million, and steadily decreasing. The market he's trying to corner was dissolving rapidly. And the greatest opponent he was facing at the time was dwindling alongside the market before he could even enter it. A recent trend of gaming models that cropped up was the free-to-play model. While not exactly new with MMOs like MapleStory and RuneScape offering such features, free-to-play took the world by storm when games like Supercell's Clash of Clans went from an unknown title to buying Super Bowl ads. Sony's MMO, EverQuest? converted from a subscription-based to free-to-play slash subscription combo and saw a huge increase in profit and activity. Games like Riot's League of Legends, Blizzard's Heroes of the Storm, Hi-Rez Studio and Titanforge Games Smite, and Valve's Dota 2 all had come out by 2012 with a free-to-play model, and it instantly gained traction to launch to the stars. 38 Studios felt the heat as they were trying to tape their precious MMO together and they were watching all their work turn into a dying fad. They had missed the bus some few years ago. Trying to get meetings together to figure out if they could reshape the MMO into their own free-to-play model, 38 Studios executives realized that in order to do so, they would need yet more time to convert part of the game to make this happen. Trying to steal sand from the bottom of the hourglass that has long since run dry, there was no hope for Copernicus to survive in any capacity anymore. But Captain Kurt Schilling still ordered his ship to charge forward. Once again, Kurt forgot his own policy he had kept asserting throughout the years to be open and honest to his own family, or his employees rather, and they continued the work none the wiser. In a few short months, the structural keels of our ship began ripping apart and the flooding began. Vendors supplying things like food and coffee to the building were the first to notice when their bills and totals were being rejected or ignored in March of 2012. Jennifer Maclean, the person that convinced Kurt to buy big huge games and replaced Brett Closed as the CEO, grabbed a life vest and leapt from the 38 Studios ship, 
Stepping down around the same time bills weren't being paid. Hmm. Accountants realized that the entire amount loaned by Rhode Island was now gone and freaked out. But they were silenced by their executive supervisors. Kurt, who was still doing the great hustle, clung onto hope rather than financial strategy at this point, hard pitching the big names in the video game industry like Tencent and Nexon. Like every other prospective investor that rejected him, he believed his words would reach their ears and answer his silent SOS, all the while keeping his hands off the button to announce to his own crew to abandon ship. He wasn't just going to drift off into obscurity, he would rather risk everything to keep normalcy at the slim chance someone would do what he couldn't and save the company, including himself. You see, my friends, Kurt had already sunk at least $50 million of his own fortunes into the company to keep it afloat, and happily did so in his own honor. But by this point, all his liquid assets had run out, or at the very least, he acted like they had. Remember Lincoln Chafee, our politician friend who dismayed at Rhode Island for giving away money to the company? He's become governor of the state now, you see. <laughs> With a chip on his shoulder, he begrudgingly accepted Kurt's newfound wealth and presence in Providence going as far to have visited the studio itself for a tour. With a metaphorical pistol low to the fire the moment the company goofed up, however, Shafee saw his chance to start blasting when the company defaulted on the loan on May 12, 2012, failing to give a payment back to the bank. Two days of silence began to boil as the event horizon of the company began to take on a full view. Kurt Schilling, who had already disliked Shafee for being a political hater, and his precious child of a company, was frantically trying to hook Tencent, Nexon, well, really anyone, when Governor Shafee gathered some news reporters and announced to the entire world that his goal was, and I sardonically quote, keeping 38 studios solvent. When he said that, Rhode Island's shot around the world churned up red lights across Kurt's desk of opportunity as interested investors fled like cockroaches to the light. May 14, 2012 was the last day Kurt Schilling could look at his company and still call them family, and after that went into hiding from his own shame. He had other ways to try to save them, but there was no way he could face the people he just blindsided into likely unemployment. People he convinced to move multiple times and give up their original jobs. People who gave up dreams to take on his own. Today was the day that shaped my final opinion on our captain with bloody socks. But history marches ever forward. On May 15, 2012, employees obliviously walked into One Empire Plaza, the address for 38 Studios. There, confusion started to arise as people began to talk. They had not been paid that week. As word about Shafee's announcement the day before manifested, People began to realize that all 379 employees didn't see a dime for all their hard work in the past few days. Word got slipped that 38 Studios defaulted on their loan. Pandemonium suddenly broke loose as the executives, who were scrambling for financial purchase and security at this point using dubious methods only seen on the History Channel, now had to play dumb and tried to keep their employees from going into a full critical anarchy and ripping wires from the walls. Imagine the gall of the top dogs grabbing as many employees as they could into a conference room and telling them they had to keep working or else the news media, who had been camping outside the entrance all day, would treat this as more bad news. That the company was finished. 
Some management went so far as to gaslight full-on denial that anything was wrong, and others tried convincing their crew that they needed to stick together as family would. I must have missed this episode of Family Matters, because employees started looting the place like it was a cleared fallout base. Computers, TVs, anything they could get their hands on was free game, if they could sneak past the exhausted security. Who was likely not getting paid to deal with this? Turns out the first and only raid for Copernicus was the studio itself, and people were ninjaing gear left and right. There won't be a server reset for this one as employees, once dedicated and loyal workers, turned on the betrayal with just as much passionate gusto. New at 11, there are new developments tonight in the 38 Studios scandal. Kurt Schilling's video game company may have been on the path to bankruptcy before Governor Chafee spoke publicly about financial woes. A memo obtained by the AP shows the 38 Studios board had given the company the okay to seek bankruptcy protection May 14th. Schilling claimed Governor Chafee's comments had hurt his company's chances of survival. A law firm is trying to determine if the state can recover any money to cover the state's $75 million loan guarantee. Meanwhile, as the studio was degrading to a Lord of the Flies scenario, Kurt and Shapey were alternating days in which they would handle the company. One day, Kurt would be trying to pawn off his gold coin collection to the bank to stave off imminent doom, and the next Shapey would be blasting 38 studios on the news for mistreating state funds and managing poor timetables for low-quality games. Dang, that hurts. With them pointing fingers and flipping birds at each other, Kurt tried convincing Rhode Island to give him tax credits as bait for investors, but Shafey slid right in the way to make sure that wasn't gonna happen. Just as Kurt was a vocal bleeding heart for his crew, Shafey was to a state. It was a very stoppable force slamming into an immovable and mouthy politician as the company continued to metaphorically burn to the ground. From a political standpoint, for my American viewers and those who enjoy a little drama, it was a classical standoff. Kurt, a staunch Republican who holds their values close to his chest, was jeering and despising Shafee, a Democrat of convenience who was more than happy to oppose somebody for a little extra flair to his political resume. Shafee would go on from this to attempt to run for the office of president a few years later in 2016 and 2020 only to withdraw his stake each time the water got too hot. For our governor, it was but a small stunt to teach an ambitious, nudie celebrity who was in charge. And for Kurt, it was everything in the moment. Over the next couple of weeks, the number of unpaid employees that came in, still under the illusion that their captain would pull through, slowly began to dwindle. No final word on the situation was said or done until May 24th, 2022 when a tell-all email was sent to everyone tied to the company. The author, Mr. Christmas Turkey Bill Thomas, the uncle-in-law of Kurt and current chief operating officer, had a few kind words for his friends and family of 38 Studios. No mention of or from Kurt was in the email, nor was there any of his love laced in the enunciation. It read, the company is experiencing an economic downturn. To avoid further losses and possibility of retrenchment, <laughs> the company has decided that a company-wide layoff is absolutely necessary. These layoffs are non-voluntary and non-disciplinary. This is your official notice of layoff, effective today, Thursday. May 24th, 2012. Ta-ta!
As the dust settled and hundreds of people indescribably screwed by this development, details began pouring out as news agencies dug into the corpse of the company. 38 Studios was crippled in over $150 million in debt, including owing the bank, vendors, employees, and even the mortgages from the relocation program. Speaking of that, it turns out Kurt's lawyers made sure to leave a little clause in the paperwork that, should the company become solvent, all the mortgages would go right back to the original owners. Over a hundred people were left stranded, without insurance, and some were now thousands of dollars in debt for a house they left to follow the person that misguided and abandoned them. Moving companies even shifted their unpaid bills from the studio towards the ex-employees, having been stiffed. It was a vacuum of money and debt just sucking in from the fallout, and so many people suffered. Meanwhile, Kurt Schilling was hitting the airwaves and blaming Shafee for the entire downfall, like the governor himself had run into the building with a Molotov cocktail. What he didn't mention was the executives that made out like bandits. The same Bill Thomas that sent the cold-blooded email telling everyone to get lost made off with over $400,000 in the first few months alone, while people weren't even getting paid, and even included a consultant fee of $10,000 for his work shutting down the studio. He seriously received 10 grand to tell everyone that they weren't family anymore. My blood boils just saying that. All this talk about love and trust and how family should stick together. Vin Diesel just needed to steal a car from the VIP parking lot and we'd have a new Fast and Furious movies in the works. Just needed to cool down. Hey, press. First of five, stunning new claims from Kurt Schilling regarding the deal that brought 38 Studios to Rhode Island. In his first interview since the company's failure, Schilling said he did nothing wrong, but then went on to accuse others of questionable actions behind the scenes. And we have team coverage tonight. WPRI.com reporter Ted Nisi fills us in on something Schilling admits he got wrong in his Providence Journal op-ed from over the weekend. Well, we begin with Eyewitness News reporter Steph Machado live with what else Schilling had to say this morning. Well, Kurt Schilling said a lot in his three hours on the radio this morning, but he did not offer an apology to the taxpayers of Rhode Island for the failure of 38 Studios. Kurt Schilling has promised to tell the whole uncut story of what happened with 38 Studios. Today on WPRO was his first Rhode Island interview since his video game company went bankrupt. But there was no malice. There was no criminal intent. I didn't steal or take anything. Schilling said he was sorry to his own employees and other businesses that ended up being adversely affected once 38 Studios collapsed. But he refused to apologize to the people of Rhode Island who were left on the hook for millions of dollars worth of bonds. What do people want me to apologize for? Schilling said in hindsight he realizes how secretive the 38 Studios deal was. There were things like the first time I met him, I was supposed to go into the back door of the state house because they didn't want any media to see me going in. He claims the plan all along between himself, Michael Corso, Gordon Fox, and Stephen Costantino was for the money from the loan guarantee program to go to 38 Studios. And he says he was shocked to find out at the House floor debate on the bill that other lawmakers didn't know that. I realized that nobody in the legislation had any idea that this $75 million was completely earmarked for 38 Studios. He also accused Michael Corso of acting illegally, even though the state police and attorney general have found no evidence of a crime. Corso's attorney said in response, he wants to blame everyone but himself for making what has proven to be a very poor business decision, not only for himself in the state of Rhode Island. Kurt's comments are completely reckless and false. 
And the Attorney General's office has declined to comment on any of the allegations Schilling made today. Now, Schilling also continued to attack former Governor Lincoln Chafee. We'll bring you what he said coming up new at 6. And also, our current governor, Gina Raimondo, responds to his lack of apology to the taxpayers of Rhode Island. Reporting live in Providence with the Mobile Newsroom, I'm Steph Machado, Eyewitness News. As the story of 38 Studios dissolves into obscurity from here, I will say that there are many bittersweet endings for some of our employees that suffered. Like many big studio layoffs, other companies would flock in like first aid workers and host job fairs, and many displaced workers found second chances from other gaming companies. Others, soured and burnt from their abrupt career with developing, turned to more stable and economic paths of the industry. The common thread of thought that was held between them, however, is that their time in 38 Studios was, although brief, a worthwhile memory as it happened. Although there wasn't much time to celebrate Kingdoms of Amulet Reckoning, nor will we get to see Copernicus get its release, the time many developers got to experience together is typically seen as blissful and nostalgic. Who knows what Copernicus could have really become, if not some WoW knockoff that had a lot of love put into it and weird centaurs <laughs> Kurt had an obsession with. Nowadays, Kurt Schilling has become a bit of an internet pundit who loves responding to trolls. Working as an ESPN analyst for some time after a stint in gaming was over, he was suspended and then fired for comparing extremist Muslims to Nazis and sharing transphobic memes on Twitter. He was, and may still be, a huge Trump fanatic. And I'll leave the rest to your imagination and personal investigation. As to the fun and colorful tweets he posts daily on his conservative views. He even has his own cameo. And currently, for $150, you can book your own chance pseudo-encounter with a 56-year-old man with a MAGA hat to tell you happy birthday. Happy birthday! I personally would not recommend it, but you do you, boo. The company itself, at least on paper, declared bankruptcy on June 7th, 2012. Investigations from WPRI, the local news agency, revealed in 2014 that many studio executives knew from the start that the state's loan wasn't going to be enough to finish the MMO, causing a small uproar and backlash. In the meanwhile, the Rhode Island State Police, the State Attorney General's Office, the U.S. Attorney's Office, and even the FBI started looking into matters further, likely what prompted the sudden filing of Chapter 7. To help recoup some of the lost money, the state did a wild auction to pawn off what was still bolted to the floor of the abandoned studio. In a fit of irony, the founders for Big Huge Games, Brian Reynolds and Tim Train, managed to buy back their rights to the studio and released a mobile game a few years later, where they were bought by Nexon soon after, one of the investing companies Kurt was pitching in the final hour. Oh, and the state made $180,000 from the auction. <laughs> In 2016, the Security and Exchange Commission launched their own investigation and held Rhode Island and Wells Fargo with allegations of securities fraud, basically telling them they were morons for agreeing to such a huge loan without looking into the details, and they paid a paltry fine. Between 2012 and 2016, a lot of banks, investors, and even employees began suing the pants off of Kurt Schilling, 38 Studios, and their former executives. I could list dozens of big numbers here for your entertainment, but it was to the tune of over $100 million between all the lawsuits. I personally doubt any of them are going to be properly paid. In 2018, THQ Nordic, having been revitalized a bit from their own collapse years previous, 
bought the rights to both Kingdoms of Amalur and Copernicus. You can actually play the former on Steam, as it was released on PC on September 8th, 2020. Currently sitting at $39.99 in US dollars, it's listed with mostly popular reviews and offers 30 to 60 hours of a beautifully designed RPG world. While I haven't played it personally, I have watched several hours of game footage to my enjoyment and would encourage others to give it a shot. Now that not a single penny will go to Kurt. Ago, Kurt Schilling broke his silence about his failed video game company, 38 Studios, and the deal Rhode Island gave him to bring his company to the Ocean State. That failed deal affected every Rhode Island taxpayer, leaving them on the hook for millions of dollars. Eyewitness News once again with live, in-depth coverage of this important story. Target 12 investigator Tim White looks into further the criminality and permits of the deal. But first, Steph Machado is live in Providence with more details on what Schilling says about who knew what and when. Kurt Schilling spent much of his three hours on the radio this morning accusing other people of wrongdoing, but he did say the failure of his video game company, 38 Studios, was on him. He did not apologize to the taxpayers of Rhode Island. No apology to Rhode Islanders from Kurt Schilling over the failed 38 Studios deal that left taxpayers on the hook for millions of dollars. What do people want me to apologize for? Because a lot of what people want me to apologize for never happened or I never did. People are angry and I'm angry and I think that anyone who was involved with that deal uh, ought to apologize. Governor Gina Raimondo was against the deal from the start and says it's time to move forward and work on recouping the money lost. Former Governor Lincoln Chafee has said the same. Schilling spent some of his three hours on the radio this morning bashing Chafee. I thought after meeting him and hearing him talk, that he had a learning disability. Schilling also said in hindsight he realizes many of the dealings with people like Gordon Fox were a little too secret. There were things, like the first time I met him, I was supposed to go into the back door of the state house because they didn't want any media to see me going in. And he claims he didn't realize that others outside of himself, Fox, Stephen Costantino, and Michael Corso didn't know that the money from the loan guarantee program was going towards 38 Studios from the start. I realized that nobody in the legislation had any idea that this $75 million was completely earmarked for 38 Studios. And a spokesperson for Lincoln Chafee says he has no comment on the new things that Schilling said about him today. Over the weekend, Chafee said he was proud to have opposed 38 Studios from the start. And Kurt Schilling also said today he does want to run for Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren's seat in 2018. But he says he has to check with his wife first. I'm Steph Machado, Eyewitness News. That's going to do it for this episode as we covered the start and destruction of one man's dream to cultivate hope and whimsical beliefs into a currency to pay for a real-life industry. You can follow me on Twitter at 2 Tyler, all letters, one word. You can follow Kurt Schilling and enjoy his love for Christ and guns over on Twitter at Gehrig38. That's G-E-H-R-I-G-3-8. Gehrig was his personal character name, and you know what the 38's for. Sources for this episode include a huge chunk from the book Press Reset by Jason Schreier a boatload of news coverage from WPRI-12, some interviews by WEEI Boston Sports, a few short video articles from IGN and Polygon over on YouTube, archived news articles from 38studios.com, which is now a defunct website, and basic details in between, which were gathered by yours truly, Wikipedia. Intro and outro music is Nightshade by Adhesive Wombat, and I love their music. Thank you all for another glorious episode as we listen to the modern age retelling of the Titanic. 
I hope to catch you in the next episode, and don't forget to pay your bills. See y'all later.